Howdy. Welcome Hello. to another episode of QBT. We're two queer babes talking about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. I'm Bimini Bamboulash. Ooh, uh, I'm just Shawnee. And uh, today we're talking about schema therapy. And uh, these days are going to pass. Raise your glass and shake your ass. Did you just make that up on your own? No, I'm Bimini Bamboulash. Did she say that? Yeah, let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to talk slick, all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> what it do, boo? Howdy. Um, we're at your place. We have a change of shinery. I know. Um, did you notice some changes here? Probably not, because yes. you never. Oh, you actually noticed. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that this was much more white. Don't say that to people on the podcast. <laughs> it feels weird to say that. Um, but yeah, that's more white. Yeah, it's just pictures of Full House on this wall now. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron Kirk is sitting over yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, it, it, uh, uh, it cleaner. Like, no, that's bad too. Yeah, um, um, it, it looks nice. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I fucked that up. <laughs> I appreciate the work that you've done. I appreciate it too. Even though I keep doing things to this apartment when I'm moving. Oh, I'm going to LA soon. Yes, listeners and people out there, and you, Maddie. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for telling me. Yeah. So happy to hear. Um, is it going to be like in the middle of this conversation, or are we going to be able to finish? Um, I'm going to leave like in five minutes. Okay, cool. So <laughs> watch out for the Zoom call that tur- this turns into. Um, no, DM Shani. You know, yeah, get, DM me if you want to hang out butt. with me in LA. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I have had a morning already. Speaking of which, I was walking blue earlier, and um. A photographer stopped me, a street style photographer. Uh, I felt like so oh, little old me, <laughs> <laughs> little old me. Um, he was just like, "Hey, I'm a uh, I'm a photographer. I do street style for Willamette Weekly. I like how your hair matches your coat." And I was like, oh, "Thank you, Mignon. Um And then after he your took hair my- does look very beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, after he took my photo, he was like. Also, what is the worst job you've ever had? Okay. And I thought it was such a random question to ask yeah. me. And I didn't even ask him why he asked me that. I just immediately was like, Well, they Wendy's. have the street style thing every... And then they just, like, ask a random question. I think oh. that's just... Like, in Willamette Week, they have, like, a street style page. And so it's just, like, random Portlanders, hmm. you know. I learn something new every day. Yeah. So anyways, what I want to know... Yes. Because I think we've talked about our jobs before. Yeah. But what we haven't talked about... Is job fashion okay, okay? So, um, what is the what's the worst work uniform that you've had? Oh God. Okay. I mean, it's simultaneously. I feel like we talked about the worst job before. It's simultaneously Chick Fil A. Um, I had like two black pants. Oh my God. Also, I gained. I just literally this flashed into my face, like <laughs> at the, as I'm talking about this, because like when you first start, I think you have to. I don't think it's free. I think you have to pay for part of your uniform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that is, at Wendy's. You had to pay for your shoes. Yes. The top. I definitely remember having to get those shoes. And they are, they were Walmart clunkers. Mm-hmm. They were like hideous, but they have to have the no slip grip. You right. Know? Um, which, you know, I'm they grateful for. I definitely almost slipped on chicken grease like before. All the time. But um, at Chick-fil-A, it was simultaneously just a disgusting silhouette for me, but I also gained so much weight from only eating Chick-fil-A, like, whenever I worked, that, like, the 
thing popped. So I like basically had like a safety pin together pant, like the zipper pop. So like I was just like safety pinning the zippers for the last like oh two God. months that I worked there. Um, it was also just gross because it smelled like peanut oil. And then you came home smelling like that. Yeah. And Marlboro Reds because that's what I would smoke on my way oh, to and from work. Whoa. It smelled disgusting. But I will say it's a tie between that and my first job was um, at this family jewelry store. And that could have been like a cute moment. But as a 14 year old. I'm like wearing like oversized. My mom loved a JC Penny. Loved. Mm, tell loved. me a mom that didn't back then. But she loved JC <laughs> or T. And Max. so I'm like in these like khakis that sort of fit. You know, probably. I, it wasn't like Chelsea boot time, so it was like probably maybe some sort of square toe or something like that, and um, just a very printed, striped, cheaply made shirt um and i think in the moment i felt like like i was dressing up for work and then i like look back and i'm like you look wild child (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i think about all the times that i was wearing any sort of button-up shirt or collared shirt at age teen and it was always a mess speaking of which my my uh worst work uniform was when i was a tour guide at cnn right I always forget about this job. You've told me t- many times so on this many podcast, times. every time you say it, it like boggles my mind. It, I mean, that job, uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and it prepared me for a lot of things in life. But also that uniform, I had to wear a suit every single That's a lot. day. That's and a lot. it was in Atlanta. So, like, the dead of summer, I was like, I'm in a full suit, like, sweating, giving these tours. And similar to, like, uh, what is it, food service jobs. Right. I had to have my own suit for yeah. like the first month I was there before they could give me one and I didn't have a suit I was just no. like oh, so I have to go buy a suit to get another suit yeah waste of my money and when you have a suit that isn't like an expensive suit and you wear it every day it looks like a cheap suit you wear every day that was <laughs> like, like it's not anyone's fault it just does yeah it was just sagging off of my body yep. um it was oversized because yeah. I was in Atlanta in the that which was, to be fair now I love an oversized blazer like, I love looking like a child in yeah. my dad's jacket. Like, now I'm like, <laughs> if I had the job now, oh, I'd be the most fucking like, style. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Very that. Rose um, gold. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to CNN. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I just remembered this as you were talking about it, too. These are two memories that have hit me like a ton of bricks through this conversation. But um, when I was like a sophomore, maybe a junior in high school, I was a governor's page for a week over a summer, which basically meant all these like teens from across the country came and were assigned to a governmental bureau or office. I was working with the Department of Transportation of North Carolina, (laughs) but they made us wear suits. So I'm like a little child in North Carolina summer. And then the literal job is essentially to witness the workings of the government. But really, you're just running mail from building to building because to be a mail carrier. And so I'm just like, also, I've had, like, oily, acne-prone skin my whole life, so I'm just, like, glistening in the <laughs> sun. Just, like, my face just, sebum just oozing out of my pores, and I'm just, like, <laughs> like doing the Nicki Minaj shuffle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I also just realized that that CNN outfit that I had to wear, the requirement was for me to wear a red tie, I think, every single day, and I would never be caught dead in a red tie again. Sure. Very yeah. Republican. It's too Republican. Speaking of Republicans, did you see Joe Biden fall? 
No. <laughs> he was getting up on Air Force Run, and then actually someone cut the Nicki Minaj thing on it, because he's, like, doing that walk. He trips, like, three times. Like, three times. And in the oh, way no. that at Joe Biden's age, you know that that's going to hurt until Easter's. <laughs> like For a couple of months. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way, especially the last fall he hits, and this isn't to be, like, I don't know, ableist. It is more just to, like, our side does embarrassing things, too. You know, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen the clip of Joe Biden falling, it was a, uplifting to my spirits. I almost made it my meds this week, but I decided not to be that cruel. Yeah, but. you can't. <laughs> oh, Joe, <laughs> you know. You it's fall. the way he also, like, you you can't see his face, but you can feel the terror in his body. From yeah. Long. Like, you watch him be like, oh, no, I'm a meme. Like, you watch that sort of happen in his body as he's falling. Watching old people fall is also, like, quite scary to me. No, it's, I mean, Yeah. Yeah, well, now I feel bad I talked about it. Um, <laughs> um, also, like, on a completely, deeply unfunny note, I just, uh, I was debating, I think, and talked with you a little bit how we before we started about feeling conflicted about how to even have this conversation about the horrific murders by a white supremacist, um, white terrorist in Atlanta of um, mostly Asian American folks um, at, a, at a spa. And... Uh, the way that this happened in relationship to these rising conversations around the um, Asian American hate crimes that have happened since COVID-19, just fucking, especially coming out of like New York and LA, just, and that paired with also these Chinatowns, Koreatowns, Japantowns in these various cities, having a really close up shop. I saw yeah. this video the other day of this guy walking around. Um, actually, I don't remember what city it was, but it was essentially just showing all the businesses that were open pre-COVID that are now closed and simply because of bias around, you know, where this comes from. And there was a, another horrible video of this like older woman who thankfully fought back and put that motherfucker in a stretcher. But is this older woman just giant bruise on her face and she fucking fought back and that young ass white kid that tried to attack her, you know, is arrested and on a stretcher and whatever. But it just, it's disgusting. And then... This is such an interesting thing because it's this combination of this hate crime towards Asian American folks mixed with this hate crime, which is not under a hate crime category, but of whorephobia, of how we mm -hmm. think and talk about sex workers and, and how we understand um, what is dignifying for sex workers. Because like the thing is that crimes against sex workers are often not able to be prosecuted because one sex workers are afraid to go talk to people because they're you know quote doing something illegal and it's like we need to work towards decriminalization and we will see these violence um go down we'll also see sex trafficking go down if if this is not this thing that people feel afraid to report and come clean with um but there's this internet incel male fucked up especially with white men ideology of like Women are the reason that I'm a horny mess. They're, they are beautiful, which is therefore their fault. And it's also their fault for not fucking me because I'm a nice guy. It's a, it's a fucked up ideology, yeah. but I'm just saying this is what drives male violence. It is, it is the externalization of their own lack of control and desire and coming to terms with their desire, coming to terms with their fetishization. Um, that's a fun word I can't say again, but... Um, mm -hmm. You know, Asian women especially get this, like, conglomeration of hate and misunderstanding because there's, you know, white men that fetishize them, that then treat them and think that they just are 
essentially like obedient sex dolls for them. You Mm -hmm. got white women who hate them because they don't quote fit the standards. They hate that thing that they aren't. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's just like a lack of respect for women in general. Right. And it just, this moment in Atlanta was just deeply sad. And I, there was an article written by Tracy Kwan um, talking about the Atlanta spa shooting as a hate crime against sex workers and how we need to have conversations around decriminalization, destigmatization um, to be able to provide sex workers with more of an arsenal to fight back against this shit. But really, it's it's about conversations and how we talk about sex workers and how we talk about women that helps shape how this is perceived, you know? And that fucking cop that... I don't know if you saw this, but this cop came out when the day it happened and essentially said that this motherfucker had a bad day. That cop also... Was that cop white? Of course. That cop was also... Was that cop a man? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just checking. Just checking. Was he a cop? I was to say <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm just... Yeah. I know. And then that that man also was found out to have uh, been posting anti-Asian sentiments on his Facebook. So, of course... A cop is going to come out and be like, well, he just had a bad day. Because what do cops do when they have a bad day? They fucking kill people. Mm, Must be nice. Well, I don't know about that. It's something. And I just, I think that there's an opportunity, especially post last summer's like awareness. I'm not not Asian American and I'm not a sex worker, right? But if there was one thing I know coming out of Black Lives Matter and still being in Black Lives Matter and being a black person and being a minority overall is... White men are the enemy, period. Yeah. Like, you can't convince me otherwise. Um, although I'm not super informed on this because I've just had a week. Um, and yeah. probably the last thing I want to do is be more depressed about some shit. Uh, right. What I do know is that white men are the fucking devil. And, like, I'm tired of it. Like, yeah. what the fuck is wrong with this country? And I'm going to try to not go on a rant here because it's so easy for me to just, like, be emotional about this. But, yeah. like, none of this is a surprise to me. And if yeah. this motherfucker isn't tried as, like, a terrorist or, like, something that, like, is going to get him the death sentence because that's the only thing that makes sense for me like something is just terribly broken in this country and it can't just be i mean i i thank god we have a president that now can like decry hate against like asian americans or against any race because that wouldn't have happened a year ago yeah um i need more than that sorry like words mean nothing anymore like they don't mean anything like actually I don't know. Do something about this shit. Show me, don't tell me. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Before I move on, I just wanted to mention that, like, the Asian American rights movement rose up with the civil rights movement that led by black Americans. And there was lots of solidarity. Black power with Yellow Peril. Yellow Peril supports black power. Looking into that history is really interesting. There's obviously going to be some separation of division, but there was like some fucking article written after this that talked about what the black community needs to do to support Asian Americans. And it's like, talk to white people, (laughs) talk to white people. But as I move on from that, I fucking forgot Joe Biden and Kamala fucking fired like five-ish people for having previously smoked marijuana. They let staffers go this week for revealing that they have previous marijuana use. Just (laughs) nutty. So what you're telling me is that I should not apply to the White House. uh, It's just so fucking annoying. It's just like, uh, they drive me fucking crazy. Okay. Um, Have you been listening to anything this week? Is there anything sweet in your ears? Uh, No. Okay. No. I was going to try to make a play on like... 
you saying sweet and then sweetie because okay that breakup happened you know we can rewind and do that do you want to try another no i think it's on there now okay y'all are listening speaking (laughs) of something sweetie in my ears um quavo and sweetie are breaking up (laughs) they're breaking up and i uh, honestly i was like here for them for a while but i mean they seemed cute they They i feel like they had that video at the beginning of COVID. i don't know if it was a cosmo or vogue video where they're talking about their relationship it seemed really cute but you know he's part of the cheating migos so the cheating migos yeah wow okay i feel like uh you know that's just like part of the mo and like uh honestly you know there's some definite things around like straight people in their monogamy that like they need to think about but mm-hmm. um there's like uh she essentially was just like i'm fed up i kind of emotionally checked out for this for a long time like it wasn't even really shit talking it wasn't like he's a fucked up person da, da, right. da. it was really just like this happened whatever and then he responds on twitter like you know like i can't believe you're that type of person yada yada and she just retweets it and it's like stay blessed or like peace be with you or like let me tell you take care it was take (laughs) Take care care. that's what it was was take care (laughs) she just put an image of drake up it wasn't even a text i'm just kidding kidding. i fucking love it Um, yeah i'm a sweetie fan i'm not yeah i'm a fan so i'm pro yeah yeah pro sweetie i hope that she has to come up i mean she already is having a a blow up and a what a glow up (laughs) and sort of you know she's been she's been blowing up a lot lately and i hope this helps her out even more the good thing about fuck is migos doing and who the fuck cares about what quavo is doing right now who i mean uh i do feel like the good thing that quavo is getting out of this is that he doesn't have to eat any more like hot cheeto sandwiches or like whatever the fuck have you seen like the food sweetie makes no there she makes disgusting stoner food like she'll be like on instagram be like i like made this concoction it's just garbage like i'll send you some links later it's like fucking disgusting um also speaking of fucking disgusting little mama decided to um come out with some transphobia and then was attacked for it or just you know corrected for it and then she put this long post up about how she's gonna start having straight pride it was honestly very azalea banks it was very that like line of thinking that's like you know like just like i'm being attacked for being a fucking idiot like that kind of line of thinking but um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna miss the streams of lil mama and avril lavigne that that she's not gonna get anymore but uh don't i had buried that song deep 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 in my psyche no 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 no. hey hey you you (laughs) um honestly the really only new thing that i listened to was georgia smith's addicted and um i think that this person is famous i don't know Uh, this is new this name is the name is not new to me the content is new to me i haven't heard a single goddamn song i listened to this it's very cute i feel like um for i don't want to get i don't know yelled at so i'm just gonna say i i'm sure it is a cute song i don't (laughs) i'm not gonna say anything bad about georgia smith because y'all people like her a lot apparently sure whoever she is Honestly, uh, I was going to put, I saw Chica released a new song and I was going to put it down and it honestly just didn't hit for me. Mm. To be fair, I like R&B. I don't like slow mm. R- Like, I like R&B with a beat and someone singing over it. If it's R&B and it's just someone singing, I'm like, I don't need a fucking lullaby. Yeah. Even if it's a sexy lullaby, I'm never going to hit play on that shit. That's true. Like, it's just, it's why I don't like positions. You know, I'm just like, it's fucking sleepy as shit. Like, and it's not I, fun. If I feel like I listen to, if I can listen to your tracks, like one through five or one through five of your most popular tracks on Spotify and yeah. I can't tell them apart. Yeah. Like, I have to look to make sure that I'm on another song. Yep. 
I probably am not going to like you as an artist. Totally. I and feel that. there are just a few people out there that I, I'm like, eh. And, and maybe this sounds like everything else this person has released. For me, it was in the same genre as that Chica track, which I loved. I think she just won a Grammy for it. I loved that debut album that she put out, EP or something. Maybe video games or something like that. It's... It's super cool, she, and she's a very talented rapper. I, I just found the new track a little boring, but this Georgia Smith track, it was like, it's that R&B vibe, but I can sort of dance to it, you know? Like, okay. I, I just, in terms of nostalgia music, this isn't true for me, but in terms of current music, if I can't dance to it, I don't really want to listen to it. Like, I'll listen to nostalgia things that I used to really like that aren't that, but in general, if you are like, listen to this, and I'm not able to move to it a little bit, I'm going to just... I'm never going to play it again. I'm never going to play it again. I'll listen. Like, this was really deep. This was sweet. I like the lyrics. And then it just sits there. And also, I don't want to give this person that much airtime, but Miss Del Rey also came out with a new album this week. Oh, yeah. I saw that. And I scrolled right on past it. Good. (laughs) I gave it one listen. I will give her that there is one track that I enjoyed, but the reason I enjoyed it is because she only sings on half of it. She's got some feature on it that I like that woman singing a lot. Ah. The rest of it is just like, it's it's just white feminism Mm-mm. through like a like a, a video camera lens. It just it like it just doesn't Mm-mm. it 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 did not hit. I don't understand it. I don't get. Um, it's twenty twenty one. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> and I I even this time tried to go in with like maybe there's something here, and I it would. It was not for me. Um, I don't have much to say about this last thing, but the uh, Opera Philadelphia partnered with Sasha Velour and composer um, Angelica Negron to make this 10-minute short film called The Island We Made. And Sasha Velour stars in this opera that's essentially this ode to mothers. Um, And Sasha wears a bald head in honor of her mother. um, And it just is this... I watched the preview for it. It's very beautiful. I don't have details on like how to watch it yet exactly. It feels like it's a preview, but I'm really excited to see what comes out of this. It, yeah. It feels like the perfect Sasha Velour thing, and it just it looks gorgeous. It sounds gorgeous. I'm really excited to hear how that kind of comes out. You know what else is gorgeous? Nar. The Snyder Cut of Justice League. Okay. It it is pretty. It's pretty. It is pretty. It's a very pretty thing. It's long. Could you finish it? Nope. Nope. I think I'm an hour in, and I watched some last night. I watched part one and a little piece of part two. And I then literally I was like, did the same thing. I'm going to bed. It is like midnight, and I'm not staying up the next three hours to finish this movie. I had like an edible and a half and was watching it, and I was like, cool. But truly. It's <laughs> very that. Ooh, cool. Uh, cool. <laughs> I mean, okay. And like, I'm not a full Zack Snyder hater. Like, honestly, I kind of love Sucker Punch. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. It's not good and no. I love it. But, like, that is, I think that there are things about this Zack Snyder thing that are cool. The problem is, is that it's four hours long and it truly probably would be two and a half hours if three quarters of the slow mo scenes were just sped up. Honestly, that's what I was thinking that full hour that I watched last it's night. It's somehow so fast paced and so slow. And at so the same slow. Time. There are, you know what it is, I realized? Because even like one of the opening scenes, I think Ben Affleck, Batman, is like on horseback trying to get to Aquaman. And I was just like, I've been watching him on this horse go through the mountains with just music playing and no dialogue for five minutes. It I was swear. like the opening scene of the two towers where it's just like seven minutes of the three of them. Yeah. Want- 
I was like, mind, you could cut this in half yeah. and get right to the point. Like, and like the. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen the end. I also haven't seen the original cut because I was like, I'm not going to fucking watch that. Oh, it's it's bad. I mean, everyone said it was bad. I like, I mean, that's why, kind of that's why I watched it because I maybe knew this that is an improvement. he dropped out because his daughter passed away. Yeah. And then Joss Whedon ugh, fucking Fucker. decided to finish it in post-production and be unaccredited as if we give a shit. And yeah. then it came out to be a mess. So this is yeah. nice because I think they... I had to read up on this because it's like, what exactly like did they? Is this like the original footage and they just used all of it, or did they add CGI in? So it's the original footage um, with new with new music, um, new like special effects, and they went back like last October and reshot a lot of stuff. Oh, I didn't know they so, actually did reshoots. They did reshoots. This. I thought it was just stuff. using the shoots that Josh Whedon reshot because mm. that's what he did. He went and reshot and rewrote a bunch of stuff. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, I I also think I was a little disappointed that you kind of had to have seen Batman versus Superman. Yeah, like, the I way it starts off is literally like two like seconds at least after. the Avengers, the first one, you don't have to have seen the previous things. Mm-hmm. This Justice League movie starts off as if you're immersed in the DC universe, and like yeah. I thought it was going to be more of like a Birds of Prey kind of thing, where like you could jump in. I will. I still say. Birds of Prey is the best DC movie that has come out in a long time. I mean, you have like obviously the I Christopher Nolan. The bar Nolan. is low, but yeah. I mean, but you have like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, which are a thing. Yeah. And then everything else that's happened. And then Birds of Prey. And I think Birds of Prey is top tier. Post Christopher Nolan movies, Birds of Prey is top tier. I agree. I think that's the best DC movie that has come out like post Christopher Nolan Batman. Um,. But, but again, the bar is low. Speaking of another <laughs> uh, extended cut, there's an evidently missed out fire versions where there's like a PG-13 R-rated and NC-17 version. Oh my God, I want all of them. I demand all of them. Rose Damu uh, on Twitter, which I don't know if you know her, but she's like a uh, famous Twitter trans person, but mm. also like works at Netflix, was like the NC-17 version is that uh, Robin Williams gets bottom surgery. <laughs> Which I kind of live for. I think that's very funny. (laughs) Uh, She just goes full girl. Um, Like, instead of transitioning into, like, a middle-aged woman, she transitions into an 84-year-old woman. I just think that's very funny. I think that's great. um, Miss Downfire is so cool. I would love to see an R-rated version of that. I wish that they would. Because I also feel like it's not ruining anything. There's enough people. The original PG version still exists. Yeah. Like, you could release the R-rated version and... it still honored because i'm sure what it is is just robin williams improving the fuck out of every scene Improbing, and just saying, like cussing every other, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah i'm sure that's what it is and i feel like he would want that if he was still here who knows i'm not gonna speak for that man i know r.i.p i take a Zack snyder cut of mrs doubtfire <laughs> <laughs> slow-mos of like the boobs like slowly going on like <laughs> just like wah 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 yep. music Oh my gosh. Or like uh is it does it isn't there a scene where at the pool where Miss Doubtfire throws something? Yeah. That would be in slow motion like <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire turns into a five hour long miniseries. Oh my god. Um yeah, uh also the college admissions scandal document document documentary on Netflix came out. It's called Operation Ooh. Varsity Blues. To be honest, I hate that title. I hate it so much. I understand why it's titled that, but I also despise it. Um Do you not like Varsity Blues? I think it just is a stupid play on words. Like I just I Yeah, I agree. I just it has I don't, no tie into Varsity it, Blues. I mean I it I just don't like it. I mean they use athletics as the way to get in this side door thing. Um 
there were times that I found the reenactment reenactment sort of helpful. Essentially, they recreate phone conversations that the FBI tapped. So it's like it's real dialogue, but actors are playing the characters. Oh, yeah. And then there's talking heads. I'm much more of a talking head person. I get that some people don't like talking head documentaries, but like if you were there, I want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to see some person pretend to be you. Yeah. I don't I don't like that. I don't um, love reenactments. I like no. original footage. Um, and to be honest, this may be controversial, but for me, mm-hmm. the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I don't feel like anyone should go to jail for this. There are so many other things going on in the world. It just, it's a nonviolent crime. Girl, if you want to spend that much money, <laughs> if you want to spend that much money, like they <laughs> didn't create this problem. Right. The colleges and institutions create this problem. And there's like one person in the documentary who like sort of sheepishly comes to the camera and is like, I try and direct my anger at the colleges and institutions that allow this to happen. But that segment of like the sort of system that creates this problem, I would say probably gets five minutes airtime total out of the hour 45 minute runtime it's all about like this horrible man and to me he's just like a fucking cheater white person and like that isn't a revelation to me that's what these that's like what these people do that's Mm -hmm. how they operate and like do i think it's right of course not there's another good point in there it's like there's literally three thousand colleges in the united states you can go to anyone and sort of make the education that you want for yourself. I was just going to say, like, they're, again, a deeply just, like, systematic problem in this country is, like, education, like, being able to afford education. Right. Private schools, public schools. It's like, and now having been out of college for over a decade. Yeah. I truly don't care where you went to school at. Right. Like, at all. And you most could people tell don't. Me, yeah, you could literally tell me that, like, I graduated top of my class at Harvard. Yes. And I'd be like, okay, bitch, but you still pay your bills like everybody else, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not special. That does not Can make you special. make something other than mac and cheese? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, that's, like, a deep, like, whatever. But I don't know. There's just... To me, when I'm watching that, and even when this was happening over Twitter, and, like, it was kind of, like, the joy of Lori Laughlin going to prison for spending money on her daughter to go to... Like, I'm yeah. just, like... People do this all the time in more legal ways. Like, standardized testing is literally, can you afford to prep your child? SAT prepped classes cost money. Mm-hmm. Or if you if it's not money, it's time. Do you have X amount of hours per week to spend studying how to take a test? If you don't, you're left with a score. It's, it's not an intelligence score. It literally, those things... Going back to that Persona documentary that was on mm-hmm. HBO, these tests are literally rooted in eugenics. So it's like none of this stuff that benefits white supremacy is that surprising to me. And I don't take joy in rich white people going to prison. I find much more joy in dismantling systems. Yeah. Like I don't feel like any justice has been served. I feel oh, so this ones are working for me. Cause let me tell you, I'll just, take a diversity hire any day. I mean, work. Like, <laughs> you know, I just Girl, I gotta play to my benefits and advantages over here. I feel like it's interesting enough to watch the ways in which they manipulated systems, like changing, you know, people that are white to claim Latino or Asian American, because mm-hmm. like those are the most white passing versions of Right. You know, um, <laughs> you see them, and you're like, oh. photoshopping water polo. Like, in some ways, what? I mean, that was what it was. They like, you know, 
the Lori Laughlin daughter, they said that she was a rower. She's never been on a boat in her so fucking I knew life. That, but they photoshopped. They photoshopped. Okay. There was another child who, like, he. There's a picture of him in a pool, and then they like photoshop him into a water polo team. <laughs> like yo, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. It's, it's like so silly, but there's an element of it that's like kind of fucking hilarious. And I don't have any. It's like, girl, you could just you could just go to like Portland Community College. It's okay. I truly. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, is there an element of like, yes, I don't wish these people to be able to live solid lives. Like I want some sort of repercussion or like uh, alignment towards being a better person. I just don't think prison is the way to do that for anyone. Like, and that becomes the complicated conversation, like kind of post abolition conversations yeah. or this summer is like, it's not just for people that don't deserve to be there. It's also for people that we think deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. We have to hold what do we do with terrible people? We have to come up with other alternatives than yeah, prison. Because prison doesn't do anything. It doesn't do shit. It doesn't do shit. It, like, it, it's like that fucking girl that beat that Uber driver up. She's facing 20, 30 years in prison for being a fucking rude, dumb person. Mm-hmm. Like, what she did was disgusting. But her being sent away to prison for 20 years to life no. for being a dumb person is not going to change her. It doesn't it doesn't give that person back their dignity. It doesn't rehabilitate that person in any way. It just ends their life. And like I don't know. I just I think we have to think of better solutions than being so fucking happy that someone who did something wrong gets sent away forever. It just So we got to fix hate crimes, education, oh and God. prison reform. Let's keep the list going. What else we got? Oh, we got, we got generation. <laughs> I I'm going to be real with you. I don't think I've gotten past the second episode because I just can't. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I want to, I want to like it. Yeah. But I, I'm just like, why do I care about these people? <laughs> I'm, I care deeply about them. I'm so in. I, um, I recognize that there's even an article that I was looking at here of one of the characters, um, Chase Sui, talking about, she's watching it and seeing the cringiness of it. But I think to me, the thing I like about it is that it's co-written by a teenager, so it's oh that um, that makes a, a lot teenager of things add up. Zelda Barnes and then her gay dad Daniel Barnes are the like co-writers of it. It's also executive produced by Lena Dunham, which like also that makes a also lot of sense. Explains so much. I know I now know. a lot is adding up for me, but and I'm definitely not going to finish it. Seeing Faggy Justice Smith, yeah, or that's their that's name. his name, Justice. Yeah, Smith? okay. Um, walking around and just like. I just, there's elements of it that I like so much. There's cringy dialogue. There's cringy scenarios. But to me, do I think the things that they are saying is sort of an amalgamation of like quarter of a conversation of eight conversations that they put into one person's mouth Mm. to kind of have some quippy moment? And it doesn't really make sense. But it also sort of is the moment. Like, I think it captures Gen Z in a way that a lot of shows like this have not. And okay. I also will say that post episode two, I think it gets better. I remember watching the first two episodes and being like, I don't know if I'm going to get through this, but I'm at episode five and I'm like, I need more. I need more. One of the episodes is about justice, the photographer girl. And then that like lesbian girl who like is sort of coming out and her mom just got deported and she's living with her aunt. Mm. They just have like a day. It It's a play on uh, Dazed and Confused. It's called like gays and confused or something like that. Oh, but it's it's okay. them just like driving around in a convertible, going to the aquarium, being stoned, and just having conversations with each other. And it's so cute. It is 
so cute. There's an element of it that's disgusting and cringeworthy, and it's like, Ugh. but there's also an element that I'm just like, I love these kids so much. Maybe that's just what, <clears throat> speaking as a millennial, that's just what Generation Z is to me these days. Cringe. It's cringe. <laughs> I'm like, cringe. oh, maybe this is why I don't want to get into it, because I'm like, oh, I feel bad for y'all. Um, which Millennials I say, are cringe in a different way, though. We we went around we saying, were, like, doggo we, for yeah, years, you know? We wear side parts, apparently, and Gen Z doesn't like that, so... It's fine. Gen Z wears really baggy clothes that I don't understand. So did I, I guess, at a certain age. I was going to say, the reason you just don't think of it is because you associate it with the way, we, maybe, associate it with the way. I was say, girl, you are right here with me. <laughs> I know. I feel like I like to genre hop a bit. You. But like. Um, you just can't stick into one category, can you? I don't. I just cannot. <laughs> but like, I mean, as, uh, as someone who likes to dress in reference to the 70s and 80s, I totally understand how someone 10 years, 11 years younger than me wants to dress like the 90s. Like, of course it makes fucking sense. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. The people that are viewing it as a war, I find strange because I'm like, it literally is just the natural progression of how trends happen. Right. Like, in another, like, 10 to 15 years, everybody will be into super duper duper skinny jeans again, and tight probably. shirts. And it'll be like, why are y'all wearing that? It's but even much. at the beginning of the 2000s, there was a lot of that mix of, like, low-rise kind of bell-bottom. It was, like, skinny and fitted in these other areas. Like, Thanks to Paris Hilton. Right. Um, Speaking of Paris Hilton... Oh, you know, work, bitch. You're yeah, better. I made a good segue. Um, <laughs> well, there's this like new allegation. Bad Baby essentially put out this video and is like, Dr. Phil, this is what I went through at this fucking camp. I stand in solidarity with um, Hannah Archuleta, who is filing a lawsuit against Dr. Phil and his program about where they send the kids. There's like a few ranches, but one of them. Um, oh, what is that place called? Turnabout Ranch is one of the ones, but essentially it's these places for, quote, troubled kids to go and get straightened out. But sexual abuse happens there. Starvation happens there. Isolation happens there. Essentially, the way that they get these kids to sort of behave is to fucking traumatize them. And it's the same thing that Paris Hilton was talking about in her documentary when her family sent her away to some boarding school to get straightened out. And they, Paris talks about how she like was so afraid because like everyone around her knew that she wasn't getting kidnapped. She literally thought she was being kidnapped. She had no idea she was being taken to this boarding school. She just, men came into her room at night, grabbed her, put her in a car, and then she like was then at a boarding school. But the whole time thinks that she's being, especially as an heiress, you know, like, yeah, that's something, you know. Yeah, like that could happen, honestly. And Paris Hilton also was involved in a testimony for this recent Oregon hearing about a bill related to places like these because these abuses have gone on long enough. And I'm just like, I'm tired of fucking adults so obsessed with obedience that they traumatize their children. Yeah. It. If disgusts you, me. It disgusts me too. And if you are that fucking obsessed with it, get a dog. Work. Exactly. Like, honestly, exactly. truly. Like, you don't want a human. You want something to own. Right. And I know that about myself. No, I'm joking. But like, I have a dog because I know I don't want a kid because if I have a kid, that kid needs to behave. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm just, that means if, that I. If you're someone with a short temper, temper and doesn't have a tolerance for the ways other people come to this world and other ways of being. Right. I, and I mean, you know, personally, I was reading the story and I just got really attached to it because like while I was not sent away for probably one to three years of my life, once a month was threatened to be sent away mm-hmm. to some either military camp, Bible camp, wilderness camp. And what I was doing was asking to see an R-rated movie too much. Like my parents' reaction to things was wild sometimes, but like I feel 
hurt by the threat of these things, I can't imagine what it's like to experience them. And like and how that shapes your world, which we're going to get into. Yes. Yeah. We're going to get into how what happens in your childhood can develop into schemas and talk about schema therapy. But first, you want to take a break? You want to take a quick break? Wait, before we take a break. Oh, what? I was just reminded, and we didn't talk about it, but I watched that movie, I Care A Lot. Oh. With Roseman Pike. Haircut. Haircut. Fashion. Fashion. Hot um, girlfriend. Hot girlfriend. And um, it was a lot. But I liked it. Yeah. I did. I liked it a lot. Thank you for the recommendation. It, us talking about those uh, Roundabout Ranch reminded me of how she sent... Uh, El- is that Ellen Burns? No. It is remind- it? No, no. I don't think it is, but it really reminded right? me of that. Yeah. Anyways, whoever plays the older woman. Um, and then just like being like, girl, you got to go to this place now. Because yep. the government said so. And it's the law. Yeah. Anyways. I know it's fucked up, but there's totally a part of me that like, I don't even know if I should say this, but there's a part of me that like, can't wait for someone to be like, you're not able to human anymore. Go sit in that house for the rest of your life. <laughs> Go sit like some you. birds, bitch. Yes. <laughs> and I'll be like, all righty. Okay. Time Honestly, to check out. I was tired of keeping all this shit I up anyway. I like old people play dominoes and fuck each other. I'm, and waiting, like, for, I'm waiting for somebody to come knock on my door today and be like, hey, you don't have to do this anymore. No. Thank um, you. Everything that we're saying is <laughs> fucked up and wrong. Uh, but uh, let's take a break. <laughs> And we're back. You hit a little note there. And we're back. Um, today, we are talking about schema therapy and schemas. But not, not schmegma. Not schmegma, no. Um, and just like, I think you and I wanted to offer a little bit. We've gotten some new listeners. Hi, babes. Thanks for being here. Um, but just kind of explain QBT. QBT, for those who don't know, sort of loosely is queer babes talking. We say it at the beginning of every episode. We're two queer babes talking about mental health and pop culture and everything else. In case um, you caught, unless you caught that, you know. But I feel like because of the way it's said in a sentence, people are like, what does QBT mean? Mm-hmm. It's a play on CBT, DBT, ACT, all these sort of like triple acronym things for therapy for us it's queer conversation and queering the conversations about therapy that's like how we come to this so as we talk about schema therapy today we're going to offer kind of this broad overview um that we will try to keep brief but just kind of catch you up if any of this interests you and you want to read along while we're talking you can go to linktree slash qbt that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash qbt click on that rex and resources there's going to be the same articles that we're kind of referencing and then plus our personal experience so yeah and it and i feel like you know as we're going through schema therapy and what schemas are um, just understand, schemas are a very sort of broad um, understanding and building block of how you look at reality and how you sort of shape your life. And this just felt like a really natural conversation, knowing that we've talked a little bit about cognitive dissonance, which is right. that shoulda, coulda, woulda episode, if you want to go back and listen. Episode 41. Episode 41. Um, and then we also talked a bit about intuition versus anxiety, right. um, which I believe ties into a lot of these schemas, Absolutely. right? Like you're sort of naturally reacting to things and um, there's these patterns and behaviors that you have that you might not be aware of. And again, that intuition versus anxiety episode, we're trying to teach you a little 
little bit about when to trust your gut um, and when things feel right for you and when they don't. And yeah. I think that a good way of being able to understand that is looking at like the schemas, some of yeah. the maladaptive or adaptive schemas that you do have. And I think it's also really beautiful, too, because like while there is an element of like, let's talk to the listeners, I also adore being able to sort of build our own therapy curriculum for ourselves. Like mm. I spend hours, you know, looking at this shit before we talk about it to try and like, how does this apply to my own life? Why am I being called to this topic? Like, um, and then I get to take this sort of research practice conversation and then move to my therapist and be like, here's the vomit that I have this week. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's very much what am I trying to say. It's very much just as much for us as I think that there is an element of like, offering um some education but uh to get this started one schema therapy is a way to come to an understanding about how we develop that's essentially the framing around it is allowing us some understanding to then make some interruptive behaviors or to offer ourselves better coping strategy it's essentially gone through a few lenses, but it's an offshoot of CBT. It's like, how do we offer psychoeducation that leads to awareness that leads to change behaviors? So if CBT isn't your bag, I think that, okay, great. And also for anyone who doesn't know, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. But if that's not your bag, just listen and think of this as a way to explore and understand what are your core emotional childhood needs, which I realize that may sound like a leap into deep dive, but yeah. like... That's what it's about. Yeah. And I, here, I'm going to make it super duper duper easy, right? Schema is, it's, just look at it this. Look at it as this. A pattern of thought or behavior that is organized into categories based off of the information and your relationship to that information based off of your experiences. Right. And a lot of that, obviously, is your childhood. Right. And I know it sounds sometimes very Freudian to say, but like, it's true. Your formative years, your your um your childhood, your adolescence, um, your infancy, those things like how you're treated, how you sort of take in information, what you understand from those years, absolutely positively has an impact on you yeah. at any other age beyond that, as yeah. an adult, as a teenager. So I think that for you to for anybody to understand how they're coming into the world, sort of what their behaviors mean, yeah. why they're reacting the ways that they are, why they do the things that they do. Um, scheme, your understanding of schemas is necessary. And we'll get into it maybe when we get into the homework, but your understanding of your own schemas and again, how you're, how you look at the world and how you sort of process the world right. um, obviously impacts your behaviors. And it's like, you know, when you're talking about also when you said Freudian, I, was I thought you said fruity and I was like I thought you were saying that like thinking about your childhood is fruity like yeah, gay, gay as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> which like it totally is um, but I uh, I think that there was like um there's this element where I think that there's a stigma around therapy in general that's like you go to therapy to look at your childhood and that's not always the case although I do think that there is an opportunity to examine that because just like scientifically we understand that what happens in those early years shapes us i think that i don't agree with the sort of like if that happens then this will happen or if that happens mm -hmm. you are this type of person what i like about schema therapy and sort of this designation of like 
sort of categorization, and it allows me to examine behaviors in a different way. It's like, where is that behavior coming from? And like we talked about with the Vixen last week when she was like, um, you know, pain is information. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that because, you know, while that isn't like necessarily credited to slash the Vixen, it's not like quotes there. It, it is like this offering that I appreciate because it's like, what fucked up things am I doing and how am I harming myself or how am I harming other people or what hard thing am I going through that really is more about a need that I'm not addressing. Yeah. And maybe that need has been missing from my life since I was two. <laughs> and I just have come up essentially with these maladaptive ways to enter the world. So schemas in general, there are 18 early schemas. You can go look at all of them. We're not going to talk about all of them. But essentially, these 18 early maladaptive schemas are core themes or patterns that show up in all of our lives related specifically to the second component of schema therapy, which is core emotional needs. Those things can be connection, mutuality, reciprocity, flow, and autonomy. But essentially, what sort of creates this sort of well-rounded human being? Um, and that obviously is in deep quotes too, because like we've also had many conversations in which the th- ways in which therapy only considers a certain type of person. Right. So like come to this as you will. But then if we have then the core needs, then what happens is then we kind of create schema modes or schema domains, which are a mix between these maladaptive schemas and then our behaviors. Mm. Um, and they... It's like a grouping of... It's a grouping of them. Um, And, you know, just kind of briefly, these five broad groups of types of schemas are disconnection and rejection. That's one. Impaired autonomy and performance. Two. Impaired limits. Three. Other directedness. Four. And overvigilance and inhibition. Five. Of these five, Miss Ma'am, which one do you feel is... Your inner child calling to girl, all of them. It's right? all fucked. I know. That's actually something really cool. I liked about this exercise is reading through and being like, "Oh, I'm damaged in all ways." <laughs> damaged goods. I say drinking an IPA yeah. Sunday at one p.m. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Mm. We're not going to be punitive over here. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, no, I would say that definitely the last two you mentioned, uh, the other directedness and then overvigilance and inhibition. Okay. Well, talk to me about overdirectedness. What does that broad category mean? And what are some of the schemas that maybe fall underneath that, that you, that speak to your heart? So like generally other directedness is an excessive focus on the desires, the feelings and emotions uh, and responses of others um, at the expense of your, at the expense of your own needs. So never heard of her. (laughs) Right. A lot of times this shows up in like subjugation or self-sacrifice or approval seeking, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't know where you want to start with my childhood, because that might've been all it was is um, especially being an only child. I think that. There was a lot of self-sacrifice. There was a lot of, I need to do all of these things because it's just me and I need the love of my family. I need the love of my mother. I need the love of my father. Um, And I need to make sure that they are happy. Like I need to, especially when my mother was single and working, it was like, I don't want to make her life any harder. Right. Um, So let me do everything I can by myself so that she's happy and so that she is stress-free and that she's okay um and there's like divorce happening there's like all these things there's queerness happening there's like all this stuff that like 
lends itself towards suppression in order to fit in and focus and support your mother, which is like not a bad thing about your mother, no. right? And that's another thing about these schemas is that I don't think it's about necessarily pointing fingers and blame. It's really just about looking back and thinking about all childhoods are missing something. Yes. What in yours specifically kind of lends towards these behaviors of like, that was a, something that I was really missing. <laughs> Which, and by the way, like, and for me, this example is, to your point, not about my mother. It has to do with the fact that this was the context. This was the situation, right? Yeah. I, my mother didn't necessarily say, you need to do those things to get my love. Of course right? not. Like, it was not a direct verbal thing that was ever said to me. Of course not. Me. But I think that um, behaviorally, non-verbally, again, just my sort of the way I was... Um, taking in information at that age. Right. Um, I saw my mother is a lot happier, is a lot more proud of me. Um, maybe it was like, she's taking me to the toy store more because like, I'm not bothering her. Mm. Right. And when I am bothering her, maybe she's not screaming at me, but yeah. I can see that like she's frazzled or she just right. doesn't have time right now. Right. So again, it's not necessarily a matter of your parents did this awful thing to you and that's why this happened. It's mm -hmm. Again, it's just like how you take in information and sort of how things played out for you. And I also think other directiveness comes up too because there's like, especially in Christian households, there's such a focus on like, which I mean is like debatable and how this manifests, but like the idea is like, your place in heaven can potentially be determined in how you treat other people. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes like this like, uh-oh. But like, there's also something, you know, in this Schema Therapy Society article, it's naming that the typical family of origin is based on conditional acceptance. Um, you know, uh, so the parents' emotional needs and desires or social acceptance or status are valued more than the unique needs and feelings of each child. And for me, that manifested in, I feel like my parents being youth group leaders or a deacon. And so having a queer child does not fit in with their narrative of what it means to be socially accepted in their church community. Mm -hmm. That also was true for me in my life, but it also was about like an element of suppression that has to happen in order to gain approval. Right. And like, so I feel like how that shows up later you know, some of the schemas related to this are subjugation, self-sacrifice, or approval seeking. Which one do you feel like shows up the most for you? Um, well, before I jump into that, oh, sorry. I also wanted to quickly just touch on that for me, it also, from a race perspective, uh, yeah, okay. a lot of this plays into it. Um, so I also, like listeners, this isn't always just tied to your parents and like your family. It is tied to society and how society treats Absolutely. you and what you get out of which you get out of society. And I think that you. suppressing that subjugation part, maybe this is one the part the uh the schema within that category that resonates more with me, but yeah. like part of that subjugation of emotions is a suppression of emotional expression, especially anger. Yeah. I can't i mean to this day i'm like i can't be the angry black person in a room yeah. i'm not allowed to like be angry and scream at people or right. like even show that i'm a little bit upset about something right. because that could mean death for me period right. right so um which if we're thinking about schema therapy not to interrupt i'm sorry no, but no, like when we're thinking it. about schema therapy what that happens is if that is a natural schema for you there is a suppression of anger then uh, according to schema therapy what that leads to is a coping skill which is one of three things the coping skill is going to be either you know um a blocking or escaping um 
or a surrendering to that. So, or it's going to be an overcompensation. Mm. Um, and I feel like when there's any one of those things that show up, if there's deep suppression, there's a, an element of surrendering to it, right? Like we're just like, okay, I know that in my life, anger is not something I'm allowed to feel feel socially but when then when we suppress it over and over and over there then becomes this overcompensation where it's like i shawnee deserve to be angry and then you're outwardly angry at maybe something that that's not actually deserving of that anger yeah but it's because there's like this simultaneous giving in and overcompensation of that because little shawnee didn't get the opportunity to be angry in a healthy way yeah i think that thank you for that i don't (laughs) thank you um I think all of that considering, I would say subjugation as a schema is one that uh, that I'm feeling right now. Like, that's the one that resonates with me more during this conversation, um, which, you know, we've talked about subjugation, but it usually involves the perception that one's own, own that one's own desires, opinions, and feelings are not valid or important to others. Right. And I think that I um, just, again, growing up, I mean, even as recently as like a year ago, like I just sometimes sit there. If I'm in a group, it's just like, I'll sit here in silence. Like, do I have an opinion on this? Absolutely. But like, does my opinion actually matter? Like, what is the point of contributing to this conversation at all? Um, Which is something that, yeah. And I wouldn't call that passive aggressive, but I don't know. Like, it's just a very controlled sort of, I'm not going to express anything because... I have learned growing up that the expression of things is not helpful. Or it leads to judgment. Or it leads to judgment or death. And I feel like for me within that, right, sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to fully rush past that. But like for me with self-sacrifice, it's simultaneously this Christian ideology of like, go help the people, go tell the good word, mixed with when I was Christian in that way, that was when I got a lot of support from my family. Oh, you're doing such a beautiful job in X. And then also it's much easier to be kind and help fix other people's problems, dipping into white saviorism like that. And not just that term is mostly specifically applied like across race. Mm -hmm. But I think like I developed an identity as someone who was like able to help my friends or like, also it's a lot easier to really focus on someone else's problems instead of your own. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, and like, and it's, it's, it's another thing to think about too, where like these, these schema modes are not meant to say that these that aspects of these are not beautiful or are not things to be encouraged. It's though that when we think about them as a schema, there's something out of balance. Mm. There's too much of it or too little of it. You know, it's one of right, those two right. things versus something that makes you integral to being a beautiful human, you know? But another one we both, I think, identified was overvigilance and inhibition. Do you want to name maybe a little bit about what that is and how that's showing up for you. Yeah. I honestly think this one is a little bit, is very much so connected to subjugate, uh, not subjugate, well, subjugation, but other directedness as well. Um, I think they're both very much so linked and tied to each other, but overvigilance and inhibition is, uh, inhibition and subjugation almost mean the same thing. Um, excessive emphasis on suppressing one's spontaneous feelings, impulses, and choices, or meeting rigid internalized rules and expectations about performance and ethical behavior. Um, often at the, the Ten ex- Commandments. The Ten Commandments, <laughs> essentially, right? Like, I'm gonna like not react this way. I'm gonna like give myself these like very, very, very inflexible rules, yeah. like internally, and at the expense of our own happiness and right. self expression. Right. Yeah, and I mean this. I'm still working on this to this day. Um, 
But yeah, like, I don't know. It's, I feel like what I'm seeing here, which is resonating for me, is that the typical family origin is grim, demanding, and sometimes punitive. So performance, duty, perfectionism, following rules, hiding emotions, avoiding mistakes, predominant, predominant over pleasure, joy, and relaxation. So I look at it as giving yourself this internal set of rules to be this like perfect human being, um, just because that is not because you're, this is a little bit different because you're not doing it to necessarily get love. It's to avoid punishment. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. I like, agree. Getting one thing to avoid, like, is not the same thing as trying to avoid another thing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the way that punitiveness shows up in my life or has shown up in my life, mm-hmm. um, is me making a mistake and no one else giving a shit. And I, I mean, we talked about this with that one example a few, I guess it was a month ago, that episode, but like yeah. the when that showed up and I just didn't place it in the context of schema therapy. So I didn't have this word of this schema of punitiveness, but mm-hmm. like my household was so punishment based not just because Christian, but also because military, which also for for new listeners, Shawnee and I are both queer kids from the South, grew up military and Christian. Like yeah. the difference is blackness and whiteness, <laughs> but like there's a lot that's real similar. Yeah. And um, But punitiveness, like this idea that if the way that shows up too for me is that like maybe no one else punishes me, but I'm going to punish me. Mm. I'm going to make myself feel like shit. Because I did something wrong. Yeah. And like it it has offered me an inability sometimes to make a mistake freely and view that as inherently human instead of a flaw of my character. You know? I get that. And I this is funny because my and again, this is why I say it's not always tied to family. If there is anything, one of the things my mother has consistently said to me because she knows that I get really stressed out when like when I think I made a mistake or when like one little thing goes wrong, like I will, uh, I don't know. I turn, what is it called? You turn a anthill into like a, into like a. Oh, an uh, anthill. In, um, wait. That's saying. Anthill into a mole. Into a mole hill, but ants and mole. Uh, whatever. I, like <laughs> I, I make really ants small and things. Like I really beat myself up over really small things sometimes. And my mother has known this about me my entire life. And she says to me all the time, she's just like, shit happens. Like yeah. it's fine. Right. But to me, I'm like, no, <laughs> like yep. that's not how it should happen. And yes. I think that, um, like that, in terms of these unrelenting standards, right? But these are unrelenting standards that I have for myself, again, based off of what the world has sort of, has sort of taught me on yep. like who I'm supposed to be as a person, who I'm supposed to be as um, a black person, who right. I'm supposed to twice be twice as good, right? Twice as good, who I'm supposed to be as like queer and gay, which is you need to have a perfect body and like you need to sure i whatever allegedly. do this allegedly yeah. you need to be this kind of way if you're going to be gay yeah which is very toxic yeah um and i think that for me that has come up in terms of a schema in terms of this unrelenting standards and like hyper hypercriticalness like I'm very hypercritical of all of my sort of actions and behaviors. You know, at the end of every day, if there's anything that keeps me up at night, is me like criticizing myself. It's me yep. like going back over my day and being like, fuck, why did you do that that way? Fuck, yep. like, is this, that's not good. Like, oh shit, you need to change that next time. Yep. Um, which is not helpful and is not productive for me yep. at all by yep. any means. Yeah, I am. Um... I don't know why I completely blanked. I think I honestly, if I'm being like completely honest, I think I went to like this analysis headspace of like 
childhood experiences that just like kind of takes you out. And I feel like, uh, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about that in terms of schema therapy, that's like this, uh, coping skill of blocking out or escaping from pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, as you're talking about the ways in which your pain affects your life, my brain, uh, my natural schema, my natural way to show up is to be like, check out bitch, (laughs) like, like leave. And like, I think it's, it's really interesting to, to see these behaviors laid out because I feel like CBT and other characteristics or other, um, uh, therapy modes that I've both practiced as a patient and then as a clinician. Um, what I like about schema therapy is like the sort of language that it gives to a certain characteristic of behaviors. I don't know if I fully buy into the like, if this then right kind of math that it sort of posits. I don't love that. But what I love is, you know, Essentially, it's talking about like, oh, if you have a typical family that's detached, cold, rejecting and withholding or emotionally abusive, maybe you might have things around mistrust and emotional deprivation (laughs) and abandonment. And it's like, oh, yeah, when my parents used punitively their emotional love based on how well I did, I'm going to simultaneously have this punitive schema that shows up as well as a mistrust of everyone because i assume that they'll withhold that love for me if i fuck up right and it's like um well that's why all these things are deeply connected because and just like listeners you know like talking about abandonment and sort of mistrust that leads into a whole nother category of schemas which is that disconnection and rejection right right which is tied to that punitiveness that we're talking about when we are uh, referring to overvigilance and inhibition. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, just to kind of call back, when we're thinking about this impaired limits thing, it's, it's very white supremacy. It's the, the schemas that show up are like entitlement and insufficient self-control or self-discipline. I feel like um, for me, you know, one of the things around this is like in a, in a childhood people may not have had a um, a way to tolerate normal levels of discomfort. And, you know, the way that I sort of had insufficient self-control would be, you know, I punched a wall in my closet one time that my parents didn't find until I moved out. And we're like, <laughs> what is this hole? And I'm like, remember that concert you said I couldn't go to? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. um, just stupid shit. But I think, honestly, when we're thinking about that white terrorist or when we're thinking about, you know, these Ivy League folks, there is a schema of impaired limits on these folks that whiteness offers. And I think it speaks to your point of the ways in which it's obviously not just like blame the parents. It's what are these societal structures? What did school teach us and mm-hmm, not offer mm-hmm. us? What did our church and community not offer us? What did we not offer ourselves that yeah. was maybe available for us to pick up and we just didn't see it as worthy of us? Like, I, I, I appreciate your offering and I think it's very easy to always be like, my problems are because of them. And yeah. I, I, I don't believe that. I truly don't. I think that to make a point, sometimes it's helpful. But um, I don't know. I just I found this week diving into schema therapy and schemas and looking into this uh, a really helpful way to kind of just think about behavior in general. If this interests you, I feel like, you know, check out our Rex and Resources doc and see if... Maybe there's some things that you can identify with. And then the way that you're able to offer this to your therapist is if you're thinking about how to turn this into something that is helpful. Um, 
is begin journaling or been, begin talking about what are these coping styles related to this? Am I overcompensating? Am I running away? Am I surrendering? And then how can I make behavior, better behavior choices based on these modes? Um, do you have any final thoughts related to how we're coming to schema therapy today? Um, I... I think that for the listeners, I just want you to know that, again, these are very, there's a lot of them. Um, there's going to be a few that feel very, very, very much so uh, like they're happening in your life and a few that are yeah. not. But long story short, we all have schemas. Some of them are adaptive. Some of them are maladaptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more aware you are of those things, which is going to require a sort of um, digging into your past maybe even asking your parents and your family like some questions mm. about how you were raised or like what happened at a certain age. Um, it's very much so also to be tied to like shadow work one day when we talk yeah. about that. But all of this is connected in a way that's meant to help you create better, more better, more healthy uh, relationships with others and yes. better uh, behaviors for yourself. And how to offer your adult self that, connection mutuality reciprocity flow and autonomy that little baby you didn't get in the ways that it needed to and i I like to think of it as instead of a blaming of other people or of systems or whatever it's a current conversation about how to step into offering love to yourself Mm -hmm. Ooh, i love that listen on that note okay work we're almost ready to come back again so let's go ahead and get things wrapped up. Um, let's take our meds. Okay, great. I think we deserve them this week. Pop some pills. Yeah. Um, I'll go first this time. Okay. So my meds this week are Happy Persian New Year. Um, Beautiful. I want to give a quick shout out to our friend Noj, who invited uh, me and a few other friends over last night to celebrate Persian New Year with some amazing food, um, as well as some traditions around uh, the holiday. Yeah, around the holiday, mm-hmm. uh, which were uh, it was it was good. It was a lot of sort of self reflection, a lot of um, positive wishing for the future year, um, and sort of just I don't know, spreading the love for yeah. those that you do love. So yeah. yeah. Um, I love that. I'm I'm simultaneously so happy that that was a beautiful moment for you and also so sad <laughs> that um, I wasn't able to go. And part of that is because of my meds. So um, my partner had was visiting family um, and then finally came back. And just with travel stuff, we were like, it doesn't, it's probably not a good idea to go have dinner with yeah. people. Um, so that was. Girl, you got your man back in town. I was like, I they probably fucking all night. <laughs> <laughs> And I finished uh, the term. So I like turned in my final papers and stuff. I like, I'm ready to, I'm literally like two classes away from my degree, which um, <gasps> feels terrifying and cool at the same time. Whoa. I mean, two classes and a lot of shit, but like, you know, essentially if we're boiling it down, that's You're almost there. Yeah, it's wild. I remember when you started school I, I, and here we are. I know. Here we shit. are. Um, but yeah, those are my meds. What homework do we have? Homework. All right. So no journaling this week, but we are going to think about some things. So if you are not in therapy, um, because I know a few of you are not and it's okay. But if you're not in therapy, maybe look at some of the schemas that we have in the Rex and Resources uh, and think about how therapy could help out with some of those maladaptive ones um, that are showing up for you in your life. Um, Or maybe use them as a starting place if you're sort of unsure as to what you want to bring to therapy. 
Um, and then if you are in therapy, take a cl- maybe just take a closer look at how these schemas uh, are tied to what you're to what you're talking about each session. Um, is there a way to maybe take some of those smaller nuggets that you're bringing each week into like a bigger conversation around, um, I don't know, instability, rejection, punitiveness, all those things. Um, and then it, and then you can work with your therapist to explore what those uneasy parts of your past are about, because I do think that at a certain point, everybody hits maybe a plateau or a wall where it's not necessarily the therapist. You just aren't bringing something because it is tied to one of these schemas, which is harder to identify if you don't have a name for it. Yeah. Um, Especially when it feels deeply natural. Right. So, and I mean, you brought this up earlier too. You didn't have the word for punitiveness, but now you do. Right. So exactly. just go look at it. I mean, same for me. Um, go look at them. It might be giving you something that you're like, that's what that is. And yep. I had no idea that's what it was. Um, and that opens up a whole new door for you to explore. Yeah. Um, let us know your experience with the homework. You can feel free to DM us. Um, we are on Instagram at Twitter at QBT pod. Give us a follow. Give us a share. Um, but you can also send us an email at qbtpodcast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to leave us a voicemail up to two minutes at 971-220-8874. Um, but we want to hear from you. We're also coming up on our first year and we're kind of wanting, I think, to do a, a, um, a listener Q&A episode. So send your questions that you want to hear answered um, to any of the formats that we just named. Honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. You can ask us anything. Truly. Ask us anything. Ask us anything. For our anniversary episode. When you put your little headphones in and you're cleaning your car or you're going on a run and you're listening to us in your ear and there's that one thing you're like, I want to fucking know this about X. And you can do it anonymously. We're not going to like say your name. Um, Yeah. So for our anniversary episode, which is coming up in probably like the next month, uh, we're going to do 21 questions. So we're giving you a month to think about any question you want to ask us, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, whether it's cultural, whether it's just you're horny. I don't care. Like, Send him over soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you to Marquis and Chanti Darling for letting us use their music. And big, big thank you to Ali Kiltz for helping us with editing and Carlos and Kiana for helping us with um, literally everything else. <laughs> um, it takes takes a family. It does. Um you ready to... We're, I'm done. We are late to a call. I'm done. Yeah, we're late. <laughs> we're, we're late to a meeting. Um, remember, uh, enjoy some schmegma therapy. XOXO. Us. <laughs> <laughs>